No, good evening everyone. Uh, final speaker and happily some of the messages I've communicated here have been have appeared in various slides from, from Tracy and, and Dominic. Uh, I suppose the next couple of slides, rather than introduce myself and show you one slide, I want to show you about ten slides to introduce the, the background. Uh, what I'm trying to, as, as Rob when he introduced me, I, I'm working here as a, as a researcher. I'm working in the EPA as a, a researcher slash IT person. But I'm also a citizen who's interested in data, and I'm also then in the middle ground where I'm working with projects which the EPA fund, which are generating data. I'm actually one of those projects because I'm funded by the agency. So it's, it's seeing how these various places will meet and uh, the technologies and the problems involved there. And as, as Tracy pointed out, something that I might mention over the time is this idea of the five-star open data that, as we'll see in a minute, there's no point in that star number, star number one there. We're really wanting to be rising up the steps here. But that's quite difficult. And I think the best analogy I've found in a while is this idea of an open data cake. <laughs> that uh, data is really a couple of mixtures and how you mix them then is your technologies and then you come up with this information. The presentation then is what you want to present to people so you may ice the cake, you may put some sprinkles on it and then the knowledge is what's consumed outside. So basically to uh, hammer that analogy a bit, I've done a lot of making and baking cakes uh, for the last few years. Now, the, the nice thing about baking a cake is you can introduce your own flair and your own ideas, but then that might work with the agency you're working with. It may not work with standards that are available. So the idea is that making a cake involves working with the ingredients that you're given and the constraints on use, usage of those ingredients. So that might be copyright or whatever database systems you're using. Uh, icing and presentation is a speciality of mine, and that has been in the SAFER system, so that's the secure archive for environmental research data. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later, but basically the idea of icing is that from the outside, that's the first glimpse you have of the data cake, is, is what's presented on the outside. Some work I'm doing at the moment is with the, the agency, working with the European Commission and the European Environment Agency on making air quality data available to the public, and I'm going to say more about that in, in a little while. Eating the cake is usually the fun bit, and that's where myself as a citizen, and as a researcher, and as an IT person, all have roles to play. So, as I said, I did enter the, the Fingal Apps competition. I've been using open data in preference to other data sets and data streams, and I'm conducting research into, uh, into the topic. And taking up recipes is probably the most frustrating bit, is that if somebody comes along in the agency and says, I need a cake for my data set, uh, how, do we, how do we bake this thing? And I think in the 10 years I've been working with EPA, you know, it's only when you look back you realise how slow change can be, but then when it happens, things can actually uh, progress pretty quickly. And I think the recipe idea is that ensuring that everybody gets their part on the recipe and everybody is happy but at the same time that you are delivering something that is best practice on the outside as well. So you need to, like, like Dominic said, you need to massage that idea of there may be a bit of resistance inside about sharing, there may be infrastructure problems, there may be legacy data sets. It's about, it's about finding the best way to cook up a recipe that will work. And as a cake tester, I've been working on VGI for the last couple of years on open data. I'm trying to develop methodologies and analysis into to, to ways to test the quality of that data. 
and can we make statements about the quality of data for various use cases and just in general can the quality tell us a little bit about who collected it and the likelihood of it being a sustainable uh, data stream. And then sharing the cake is the last cake and <coughs> is really like, uh, you know, there's a little point in baking a cake all for yourself. It's best to share it out. And what SAFER has been really successful in is that people in the EPA have seen its success and said, well, we want our data set to go on to SAFER because it seems to be working in terms of people getting open access. And I'll give you some examples for that in a moment. So open data at EPR, I, I think what uh, EPA will acknowledge is that they've been working under the radar with, with open data, really. Things have been slipping out as open data over the last few years, but no one has ever made a, a big deal out of it. And I think uh, we had some internal meetings last week, and the idea is that we need to start saying, okay, we have a, a policy here. It may not be full policy, but we have an idea of how we want to open up our, our, our data sets. So in 2005, this was the research, this was the output from the research program. So there's millions spent on research by the EPA from universities in Ireland and, and in Europe and abroad. And it ended up here in boxes as PDFs or as printed out reports as CDs. And uh, there was very little you could really do with it. And I've got this really nice uh, uh, article in The Guardian a few weeks ago. Basically, you know, if you just want to leave PDFs out there as open data, you might as well have met, made Avatar as a black and white movie. It just wouldn't have had the same effect. Now, sometimes when I speak to research projects, they say, well, I've given you the final report. You have my data. And I say, no, I have a, a digital representation of a report of your data, but I don't have anything I can actually use. And that's where, five years ago, uh, I'm happy to say I was very influential in getting <coughs> open data idea written into, into the documents around the contracts for EPA research projects. So all EPA funded projects must provide significant outputs. Now, I won't go into the details of that, but essentially if you generate data, you collect data, you must give it back to the EPA and then we are going to make it publicly accessible. And that's the rule. So you're getting paid public money to collect data, so the public should be able to access that money that's set. And what we find the crucial thing here is that we're, we're one of the first examples where we actually couple the final report and the raw data and make that connection, which hasn't been made very many times before. So what we have now is we have the basic data archive, which is a searchable uh, online system. There's a logon there for researchers and a logon for EPA. Uh, if, a little bit further down the screenshot, there's the beginning of some uh, JSON services that people can connect to to get this rather than in, in, uh, in machine-readable format. So what we have is we've transferred from the physical to the digital. We have over 31,000 downloads, which I suppose in the internet scheme of things is not a lot, but in, in terms of our numbers, we're, we're very impressed with those. We're looking at, you know, reasonably about 5,500 downloads per, per year. Just some success stories, an EPA data set, the drinking water data set, a very famous data set internally in EPA because there's a lot of work goes into this and every year the report is produced and normally there was a CD produced, a very precious CD with all of the data and what was happening was someone would lose the, the master copy of this <laughs> or something like that would happen 
<coughs> so now what's happened is just simply go straight to Safer. So it's available 24-7 and uh, you know there's it's there, it's the whole archive is there, and a very precious uh, data set for, for people to access. Air quality data, the entire archive is there back to about 1998. And I think the success story here for EPA was the number of person hours this has saved. Uh, and I have an example of that later on because it's there's consultants looking for air quality data all of the time, and uh, it's very useful to have it there uh, openly accessible. Uh, historic, historic Mines project, again, is a collaboration between the Geological Survey of Ireland and uh, EPA, and again, Safer chosen as the outlet simply because it's, it's openly accessible. So what we're doing at the moment is, is trans transforming things from the web page, web page display for you and I to uh, machine-readable JSON uh, that people can uh, hook into uh, apps and services of their own. So something like the Air Quality Index for Health, for example, can be produced in, in a couple of different ways. So every few minutes we produce it in JSON format, but you also get the, the images for the web, and you also get the Twitter feed that if something goes wrong, we can uh, tweet every hour just to warn people that, that air quality may be poor in, 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 a, in a particular region. So, looking at VGI, then, uh, again, I won't go into the definition. VGI, essentially, people collecting geographic data. The term has been hanging around since about 2007. And, you know, Twitter data is, if you geocode your tweets, uh, people can do things like uh, sticking these on a map and then show that nobody's tweeting in the highlands. Uh, there's not a lot of people tweeting over around uh, Northwest Mayo there at the moment. The idea there is that this is VGI user-generated content, and a whole lot of new services and analysis can be can be done. Then OpenStreetMap, of course, is the most famous of the lot. I think uh, this is a global node density. So the brighter the the area, the more data nodes there are uh, in that region. Uh, OpenStreetMap is growing at a, an incredible rate, really. Uh, I know these stats are a month are, are a month old now, but uh, you know, you're, you're getting about 2,000 people a day doing something with the project. And again, there's quite a heavy scale of uh, nodes, polygons, relations. So you're looking at a big data set there in the, in the definition of, of big data. Uh, I'm not sure how nicely this, this uh, looks from the back of the room, but there's four different maps. There's Minute and OpenStreetMap, Minute used by MapQuest, but then you have uh, Bing's version that counts as not exist. <laughs> And here in Google, things exist a little bit more, but not as detailed. Now, of course, that's a little bit contrived. Uh, it's uh, If we look at somewhere up to a few months ago, Sarajevo actually didn't exist on, on Google Maps, but OpenStreetMap had a, an incredible representation of it. So we can see here that Bing and OpenStreetMap are very similar because there is an option for you to trace over Bing imagery in OpenStreetMap. Uh, Microsoft allowed that uh, trans transfer. Nice example from OpenStreetMap in the New Forest where this might look like much, but this is land use, recreational land use, and urban development, all in, in, in the one data, data frame, I suppose. And uh, so, you know, OpenStreetMap is not just, uh, it's not just paths and, and roads. Something very topical at the moment, uh, these green boxes are areas where there's OpenStreetMap humanitarian project activity at the moment in the Typhoon hit region of, of the Philippines. Now these are just boxes just showing that there's activity here. These are people who have 
remotely from their own desks, uh, are tracing aerial imagery, are geocoding things, and putting it into OpenStreetMap so people can use the map straight away. And incredibly, you have 600 people who have uh, worked on that project since, uh, since basically news of this disaster broke, and there's been over a million changes to the map since then. So incredibly <coughs> fast movement of, uh, of data. So then you have OpenStreetMap and actual government agencies combining. You have a really nice example from New York, uh, where New York City have released a lot of open data. <coughs> OpenStreetMap are allowed to suck that into their database. But OSM and New York have worked to build a, a change detection script. So if somebody changes uh, Louis Diner on, on Fifth Avenue to Rob's Diner, somebody in New York City uh, Council offices gets a change detection notice and say, there's a change here, do we need to change it in our, our own master database? So it's really tight coupled between citizens actually uh, monitoring the, their own uh, environment and becoming this update intelligence uh, for the, the government agency. And that brings me on to work I've managed uh, between EuroSDR and Agile. EuroSDR are essentially the umbrella organization for the national mapping agencies in Europe, and Agile are the research and academic uh, organization. And what we done was, we were the first people, myself and Jeremy Morley from Nottingham, to bring these two agencies together and get a small project up and running where we got national mapping agencies to specify crowdsourcing problems they were interested in and get academic people to research them and implement them. And we've got some nice projects out of it. Uh, the Spanish National Gazetteer, there was a, an Android app made there to allow people to update place names, which were then sent back to the uh, IGN in Madrid. And again, this change detection would, uh, would happen. There was also conflation of, of data in Germany, so actual official government data with OSM. There was a nice project on place name extraction from photos in Flickr. And then a nice one which kind of links with Dominic's uh, Halloween example. Uh, for want of a better word, off the beaten track tourist sites in Lithuania, some of these uh, tourist sites which have fallen out of national consciousness that maybe just are overgrown with weeds or something like that, people could go out and take photographs, provide descriptions, geocode them and then upload them. When they're verified, then they become part of a layer on the national spatial data infrastructure. So you're coming right through from citizen to uh, SDI. And then that work is uh, coupled with things I'm doing on a, on a cost action. Uh, again, there's about 27 countries involved in this. No mapping agencies as yet, but it's looking at, does the citizen sensor have a role to play in mapping or collecting or somehow contributing to the work of national mapping and cadastral agencies. So why I'm involved in those projects was work I've been doing in OSM, uh, looking at, for example, <coughs> how, it, how OSM networks have evolved over time. And uh, Patrick Parker, a colleague of mine, did some work here looking at this idea that networks start out quite veiny and then they gather detail in small arteries inside there. And this pattern is, uh, for Minute, for example, is repeated uh, quite frequently. I've also some work just published at the moment looking at the contributors to OpenStreetMap. There is this concept that the crowd is working quite closely together, and what I've tried to do a little bit of myth-busting is that the crowd is working close together, but that crowd could be quite small. The big numbers here are the 
key contributors in Berlin, for example. And what we're seeing is that they're actually may not be contributing with contributing work with each other, so they may not be co-editing things, but they're certainly helping other people out. It's it's very difficult to uh, put a quantitative measure on it because we we don't we're not able to get a lot of automated information about the people, so we're, we're just looking at their editing behaviour. We're also looking at some work on trying to predict future OSM contributions. So, for example, looking at how areas are changing over time and seeing if we predict where people will get interested in uh, in the future in terms of OpenStreetMap uh, contribution. And then just something I'm looking at recently is uh, who's mapping in Africa. VGI is, is quite poor in Africa at the moment. It's obviously not a priority for people who are living there. And what I'm finding from my work, and this is my own term, is that there's very few exclusively local people contributing to OpenStreetMap in, in Africa. When I say exclusively local, that someone that's in Kinshasa has only contributed to OpenStreetMap there. What we're finding is we're, we're getting people who are maybe working with NGOs are coming in and contributing, or else their people are tracing over aerial imagery. So you're losing a little bit of that local knowledge if uh, the people who are doing most of the mapping are actually coming from outside. So just to finish off with a few uh, messages, uh, something that has been an annoyance to me ever since I started is that we seem to be always worrying about what telephone line we're connected to. When I started with EPA, we were worried, if we put this data set out there, someone on a 56k modem won't be able to download it. And today we're worried, well, this, will this be visible? Will people have the software on their smartphone to view this data set? And we're still talking about is the data set too big to uh, be downloaded over a, a phone line onto a, a, a smartphone. So that's something that we're conscious of, that people say, well, why didn't you make that data set available in its entirety? And we say, well, you won't be able to download it in its entirety yet. So it's something to be considered. Something I, I, I'm trying to put into perspective to people is that we, 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 again, when the agency is asked, why didn't you supply us the raw data for that project? And we would say, well, if we supply the raw data at the moment without the systems in place, you won't be able to, to do much with it. So just like most people don't want to make up their own wraps for their fajitas in the evening, so we go and buy the kit and we have them ready-made. So that's what we try to do with, with our data, is we, we try to produce it in, in ready-made kits. Just like it is fun to make a pizza when you have time, but it is very convenient if someone just delivers the pizza straight there for you already sliced up. Uh, it just makes things easier. So what we have to look at is, what are the, the skill levels of our customers and stakeholders, and how do we uh, best deliver data to them? So the example of that is in OpenStreetMap, uh, people have the idea that OpenStreetMap is about creating maps. It's, it's about creating a spatial database which then people can create maps from. So for example, this is the three ways that OpenStreetMap make their data available. Yes, there is a map there, but that just is a way you can draw a square on it and download the data. You can use an API, or there's other people like Geofabric who make it available in shapefile format and in uh, binary format. In XML. So it's the community that builds the maps, uh, but the community also collects the data. What return on investment would EPA get from their open data approach? So I'm trying to capture this back in an envelope calculation. These are my own figures, uh, so don't, don't say that the agency are saving this amount of time, but this would be certainly representative. 
If you take a PM10 uh, data set, so PM10 is useful for looking at emissions, there's been about 2,000 downloads uh, up to the 1st of November. It would take about six minutes, I reckon, for you, for one of the guys inside to access the database, download the data into CSV, attach it to an email and send. So we reckon that by making that PM10 data available, there's 26 days has been saved. And today in the, in the EPA, in all of the public service, resource savings are, are top of the agenda, and that's a serious, uh, that's someone's entire uh, annual leave for the year saved, you know, so uh, it's, uh, <laughs> so which is, uh, and finish really, is which is most important or difficult, is it baking the cake or is it the icing? And I don't accept it perfectly. Open data isn't actually the problem, it's, uh, the obstacles are in the management of information inside, what policies are already there, is there a return on investment, and the sharing culture. So the, the icing is actually pretty easy to do. The tools are, are, are almost there. And open data really, in my opinion, is a bit like exercise on a daily basis. If exercise doesn't become part of your daily routine, it doesn't become successful. Uh, the air quality team inside, Barbara, the manager, is an advocate of making data openly accessible to the public. She sets her team's targets of making stuff openly available. So that means then that there's reasons for undertaking that uh, open data approach. So I think there's the mix then, as, as Tracy has said, there's open data, there's open access, and there's open information. And I think what I described there has really been a mixture of all of the three. So just to, three slides to finish off. How will open data work in the future? I think it's a mixture of something like GitHub, where we might make data sets available, where people can fork out that data set, do things with it, but then feedback useful things they did with it, or problems they had with it, and then, or fork out their version of some derived data set from it. Uh, cataloging applications, uh, there's nothing important here in this bit that's missing, but if you want to make your metadata available, you're going to have to go for a catalog service, but this may not be available for people to download the actual data, it'll give them a link to the download. Linked data, <coughs> the tools are not really there uh, yet, an example of almost linked data is the work we're doing with EPA. This bit here is to try and tell you that the ozone at around here is about 26 micrograms. But believe it or not, there's actually seven other XML files attached to that to make this fully inspired compliant linked data. There's RDF. So giving this to the public is going to be is never going to work. You have to give them seven files and you have to give them Python scripts to uh, open up the XML. <laughs> so the key thing will be that we're still going to go back to the CSV format, even though we could provide linked data. So it's, uh, uh, and then the big data sets, uh, we've, we've some really big data sets in EPA. How do you make them available? Is it web services? Will the web service then st stress out uh, what infrastructure is inside, or do we pre-coop them? Uh, so there's those considerations. And the answer to that is probably a combination of all the approaches that depending on your budget you could be very elaborate, depending on the data set you could split, split it up into separate data sets and make them available, or it could just be plain and let people put on their own uh, icing at the end. So I think I'll skip that slide and thanks for listening.